Cooking with your kids is one of the best ways to encourage them to eat healthy and try new foods. So if you're looking for a holiday gift that isn't a toy and that you can also enjoy together when you're stuck indoors this winter, then the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. In the course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. The course is designed for all kids ages 2 to teen and has three different skill levels. My kids and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that my kids made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you want your kids to be healthy, adventurous eaters, sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. As a busy working mom, I don't have time to run from store to store, especially around the holidays. But with Thrive Market, I don't have to. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable, and they ship everything to your door. You'll find everything you need for the holidays, including ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, baking essentials, and snacks for the kids. It's all organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. They even have curated shopping lists that make holiday prep a breeze. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low-income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insights to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. Rates of anxiety and other mental health conditions have been on the rise over the last decade, and it's no surprise that the pandemic only made them worse. In October, leading experts in pediatric health declared the mental health crisis in kids a national emergency. While there are a lot of factors at play, diet may be one we should take a closer look at. The state of our health and what we're eating really plays a big role in anxiety symptoms. That's Jess Cording, a registered dietitian health coach, writer, and author of The Little Book of Game Changers, 50 Healthy Habits for Managing Stress and Anxiety. We'll talk about what research tells us about food, gut health, and anxiety, the best nutrients and superfoods to focus on, plus tips for parents and kids to prevent and cope with anxiety. Well, Jess, welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm so happy to be here, Julie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're on the podcast. You know, you and I, I I think, have um, connected several times and I've interviewed you for Everyday Health articles and I love uh, following you on social media. I love your perspective on nutrition and 
um, kind of like that no drama, you know, straight up science uh, take that that you have. And and so let's talk a little bit more about your story and why you became a registered dietitian and an integrative nutrition health coach. And what does your work look like today? Yeah, it has been a quite a ride. You know, I would say that what originally got me interested in health and nutrition in the first place was actually just growing up around a lot of sick relatives who had crappy relationships with food. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of trauma, and it really trickled down to me. I, you know, I was like 10, 11, 12, and just so freaked out over what to eat, what not to eat. And, you know, I ended up falling off the growth curve because I was just so petrified of eating. I just didn't, I just, so I, it finally, you know, my pediatrician said to my parents, you know, something is up here. You should, you should find her, you know, a nutritionist or a therapist. I remember he called it a feeding problem, (laughs) which was like, you know, he, he had, he, he had some like farm animals. So maybe that was his frame of reference for talking about these things. (laughs) But, um, long story short, you know, I, I was thankful to connect with a really great therapist, really great dietitian who, you know, at that early age, they really taught me, you know, you don't have to be crazy about this stuff. Um, you just need to, you know, this is kind of the basics of how to eat well, to have energy and to grow and to be, I, I was really into, you know, tennis. I was a tennis coach for a while in high school and college, like, you know, this is how you can be good at sports and, um, just, it took it. So it dialed down a lot of the drama that a lot of my friends were going through, um, in high school and college around food. And it was really, you know, even though it came from a rough beginning, it was really a gift to me to be able to have that sense of peace with my body and how I was fueling it. And it, it's funny though, I didn't think t- to go into it as a career until I was, I had been on my radar, but I hated chemistry class in high school so much. And I knew that if you wanted to be a dietitian, you had to do lots of chemistry. <laughs> I was like, can I do that for four years in college? I loved writing. That was like my, my big passion. It still is. So I, you know, I followed a writing scholarship to, um, to Emerson College and I did a program that was wonderful. But I landed in New York City after graduation. I was like working a few jobs to just like pay the rent. And I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I I took a job working for an acupuncturist who um, she needed an office manager and somebody to like, you know, ghostwrite all of her blogs. And, you know, social media was still new really then. They didn't even call it social media. I think it was still called new media, um, which is crazy. But she gave me all these textbooks to study on Chinese medicine and, you know, um, the, the mind body connection. And I was just like, Nope, I have to do this. And I, while I was there, I decided to go back to school and become a registered dietitian. It was really, really hard to go from a writing background to like all this really tough science. I bet. Well, for any of your listeners who don't know, you know, to become a registered dietitian, you need to do a um, set number of prerequisites. So a number of different science courses like health sciences, nutrition sciences, um, food science as well, which is more like the culinary side. Um, you know, I had to do not just regular chemistry, I had to do organic chemistry and biochemistry, which gave me a bunch of my first gray hairs. Um, and then after you do those courses, you have to do um, an accredited internship. And um, so for me, I did my internship with New York Presbyterian Hospital, which was like 11 months of pure clinical. It was like baptism by fire. I found out I loved it. I loved all the hard clinical stuff and the ICU and all the all the really intense stuff. Um, But then then you take your licensing exam after you go through all that. 
Um, so it's, it was a long, you know, it took me about, um, from starting, you know, first day to, you know, finishing with my master's, it was about four years because I didn't go full time. I, I needed to keep the bills paid. So I was still doing some work on the side, mostly writing work, editorial. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I thought I was like a, a freak for, you know, having these two interests, writing and nutrition and dietetics. Uh, but it turned out along the way, I was able to do both and blend them together really nicely. You know, I've worked in, I've worked in clinical, long-term care, private practice, corporate wellness. Um, you know, I've done a lot of media work over the years. I have a, you know, a book that's out at the time it's recording, another book on the way. It's, um, but, you know, day to day, I actually did a little bit of a pivot. Um, you know, I had, I had, I had been juggling a bunch of different things, um, you know, in my late 20s, early 30s. But then when my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer when I was 31, I kind of dropped a bunch of stuff. and was like, okay, I need to be with my family. So what work can I do from anywhere from, you know, my parents' house, my dad's bedside, the hospital waiting room? Like, what can I do? Um, So for a few years, I had I I leaned really heavily into one on one virtual coaching and content creation. But after he passed away, I really just, you know, I found out I just I really missed being part of a team. I miss clinical. And I was really passionate to help people um, who were either, you know, cancer survivors or people at high risk and really overwhelmed with how to reduce their risk. Um, So I ended up deciding to devote time to helping build a brand new um, comprehensive nutrition and wellness program with a breast cancer center. So, you know, it's been great to be able to do a lot of that kind of work, but also to still do, you know, some writing, a little, little bit of content creation when I feel like it's aligned with what I do and still run my podcast and, and write. So it's, it's been a little of everything, but that's yeah. kind of where I am right now. <laughs> I think that's really great. So let's talk about anxiety. And, you know, when I was on your podcast, I talked about my own uh, journey with anxiety. And so kids today, obviously, they're just, um, you know, studies are showing there's there's so much anxiety that they have to deal with. There's COVID-19. Now we have the vaccines. Many, um, most kids have returned full time back to school and they're learning to be social again, have play dates. And then, of course, social media, which is an element that kids today have to deal with that we didn't really have to deal with when when we were kids. And so when a parent is concerned about anxiety, what would you say is the best first step? Yeah, so I think first step, I know this sounds a cliche, but, you know, you got to put on your own oxygen mask first. You know, I think that for um, when kids are dealing with anxiety, you know, our the parent needs to also be in a place to be able to respond thoughtfully to that anxiety. And I think a lot of that is finding a way to manage their own anxiety or their own concerns as well. You know, having their own practices that help them feel more grounded so they can respond from a a place where they can be that, that, you know, comforting person or that reality check that their child's looking for in the moment. Um, not necessarily complicated things, but I think the, the big first step is have your own oxygen mask on in regards to dealing with your own anxieties. Um, but I think it's really important to listen to kids. I think they want to be heard. They want to be understood. You know, and I think asking questions about, you know, very specifically, what are you concerned about? Why are you concerned about that? I think um, sometimes just being able to have a conversation about that can be really, really helpful and really get to the heart of what exactly those anxieties are about. Um, you know, and I think things like conversations around set, setting boundaries, we're talking about social media, 
you know, it, it's funny because, yeah, I didn't grow up with it either. And it's just, I think, you know, having conversations with kids about, you know, that social media is not real life, you know, and that what you're seeing on there is very curated. I think it's very important to make that very clear. Um, but, you know, a lot of this stuff is new to everybody. I think it's, um, that can be really hard sometimes for parents to accept, like not having the answers, you know? Right. Um, and we're living in a time where there's a lot of stuff going on that nobody has the answers to, you know, whether it's related to like what to do regarding vaccines or, you know, COVID precautions or just how to navigate those transitions. It's um, everybody's figuring it out together. And I think just sometimes it can be really helpful to just for a kid to know that they've, they're, they're heard, that they're seen, that they're understood. And, and of course, please, like if they're, if you're feeling like the anxiety that you and or your child are, you know, dealing with is too overwhelming, please reach out to a healthcare professional. You know, that's, that's what they're there for. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and so what does research tell us about the role that diet plays in either causing anxiety or increasing symptoms and also reducing it? Because I feel that there is just not enough attention paid to diet's role in anxiety. And I, you know, personally, I know that diet can help anxiety. Mm -hmm. No, and this is a a field of research I have been so interested in, you know, I remember, I don't know, maybe like I started researching this, gosh, like almost 10 years ago, I was, I was fascinated by it. And I remember feeling the freak in the corner, right. Talking about the food mood connection. Like I was the (laughs) one, you know, my mother was a hypnotherapist. So growing up, like I got a lot of like the more woo woo, like introduction to things. And so as an adult, I really wanted to to go hard on the clinical stuff to balance that out. And research has shown us, and this is a growing field. So I think we're going to learn more and more about this, but that the state of our, our health and what we're eating really plays a big role in anxiety symptoms. Um, so for example, there are certain foods that can be um, detrimental to our stress response and our feelings of anxiety. And then there are foods that can be very soothing to our nervous system. Um, I think one of the biggest factors is that blood sugar management plays a big role. So if our blood sugar is all over the place, because maybe we're eating too much carbs, um, or maybe too, too many sources of refined carbs or added sugars, or we're not getting the right, you know, we're not getting enough healthy fat or enough protein to balance the carbs we're eating, you know, um, your blood sugar, when it's on this like roller coaster ride all day, your mood is going to go right along with that. So, um, you know, blood sugar is incredibly important and just certain foods that on a cellular level have an impact uh, on the way that our body responds to stress hormones. Um, that can be a factor as well. You know, we've, we've got a lot of research looking at, for example, the effect of um, omega-3 fatty acids from um, yeah, in the form of EPA and DHA. You know, the fish oil, for example, is the most common thing you'll see in the research. You know, um, those omega-3s have been shown to really help mitigate the effects of stress hormone cortisol. So those are just a few examples, but yeah, like there's a lot there. And then of course, gut health and anxiety. Yeah. Can you talk to me about that? What do we know about the link between our gut and our mood? So I, we're learning more and more all the time. I mean, to put it, we have a if you want to call it a second brain, so to speak, in our gastrointestinal system called the enteric nervous system, um, the ENS. It's just millions of you know, nerve endings. And they, these, this, uh, this brain in the gut, it's talking to the brain in our head. You know, they're sending signals between each other all day, every day. And the state of our gastrointestinal health 
can play a really big role in how anxious we feel and how resilient we feel in the face of stress. So um, one example, just to kind of highlight how that works, you know, a lot of the neurotransmitters that regulate mood, so serotonin, for example, one that a lot of people are familiar with, um, serotonin is produced in the gastrointestinal system. So if your gut is not in good working order, it can be harder for that process to have to happen optimally. Um, you know, and of course, I, I would say we also can't ignore the fact that, you know, if somebody has a lot of gastrointestinal issues, um, you know, where maybe they're having to like run to the bathroom a lot, or they're going to have, you know, they're having anxiety about like, you know, pain and, you know, or is what they're eating going to make them feel bad, you know, um, you know, that, that can also be very stress inducing and be an additional source of anxiety. So they kind of go hand in hand, you know, the state of our gut can impact our mental and emotional functioning. But when our, um, when our gut's not in, in great shape also, like that adds an additional stressor or a thing to be anxious about too. Yeah. And I think also with kids today, they're, they're basically living off of ultra processed foods, right? I mean, the research backs that up. And so that can really affect your gut and in turn your mental health, right? Absolutely. You know, I sometimes, you know, I, um, I wish that we had known what we know now when my generation was growing up. Cause you know, I think back to like, um, even myself, honestly, like when I was in school, gosh, like if I had known probably how much better, like my mood would have been as a teen, if I had known to eat like more healthy fats, I mean, cause growing up, you know, like coming of age in the nineties when everything was like low fat, everything, you know, it was just like snack those cookies. We, we've probably yeah. talked about this before. Yeah. But like, just thinking about, wow, like I might've done even better on my SATs if I had known what to <laughs> eat for breakfast or like, I mean, my SATs were fine, but like they could have been better or like, you know, and I think too, just um, things, we do have a lot of research looking at um, like, for example, again, omega-3s and um, you know, omega-3 intake and symptoms of like ADD, ADHD, impulsivity in, in children. And I think you know, I think that that would have been really helpful to have that information when, <laughs> when my generation was growing up. We were like the Adderall generation. Um, so, and I, so that's just one example. It's a little bit different than anxiety, but I, I do think that the more we learn, the more that we can use that information. And, you know, there's still, I mean, there's tons and tons of processed foods on the market being marketed to kids. Um, that's probably not going to change, unfortunately, anytime soon. But I think the more um, accessible that the research and the information highlighted in that research becomes, you know, the more that parents can feel empowered to be like, okay, so yeah, like, I think it's okay for my kid to maybe have some of these quote unquote, normal kid foods and feel like a normal kid, but like, also normalizing some of these more nutrient dense foods and finding approachable ways to make them part of their family's day-to-day -day eating and helping those kids get the proper nourishment they need to help their brains develop and to help their gastrointestinal system be healthy and help manage some of that anxiety. Yeah, that's such a great point. And, and so we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk more about how diet can prevent or even treat anxiety. The holiday season is in full swing, and I bet you're already planning family gatherings, holiday parties, and cookie recipes with your kids. But with everything that has to get done, you don't have hours to spend in the kitchen. That's why I love using my Vitamix. When I received it as a Christmas present a few years ago, I admit I was skeptical because I already had a blender. But the first time I used it, I was hooked. 
Vitamix is known for making the best smoothies, but it can do so much more. You can use it to make holiday cookies, desserts and cocktails, side dishes, dressings and marinades, even peppermint hot chocolate and eggnog. Vitamix has been around for 70 years and all of their blenders are powerful, durable and built to last and come with a full warranty. To get free shipping off any Vitamix purchase over $50, just go to my website, julierevelant.com slash shop and click on Vitamix. So Jess, talk to me about diet a little bit more. And can diet alone prevent or treat anxiety in kids? I think that really depends on the kid. Uh, and also what what is going on, you know, because... I think diet can be incredibly helpful, um, especially, you know, it, it, depending to what somebody's diet was like before making changes. You know, I think making sure that your kids are having balanced meals where they're getting a source of protein, healthy fat, complex carbs, you know, that can go a long way. And of course, I think limiting some of the, the foods that can aggravate anxiety, like a lot of the processed foods, added sugars, caffeine, um, you know, deep fried foods, you know, for some, you know, depending too, if certain foods cause gastrointestinal distress, obviously limiting those too. Um, But I think that in some cases, I think that if a kid is dealing with really, really persistent anxiety, or there's just really, you know, just big stuff going on in their life that is just beyond you know, lifestyle changes that that child can make. And I think it's important to consider other modalities as well. Um, you know, whether that's things like therapy or, um, you know, some some practitioners will recommend, you know, medication or other things, you know, like exercise or uh, meditation or breathing exercises, you know, of course, in versions that are, you know, appropriate and accessible for kids. Um, yeah, I love that Headspace now has like, tons of kid geared content and other other meditation resources do similarly, you know, so I think diet plays a really big role, but I think that it really does depend on um, how great the extent of their anxiety is, whether it is chronic or um, situational and also to, you know, what um, just what, what they might have going on elsewhere in their life too. Yeah, that is a really good point. And you mentioned caffeine and there was a study, well, I'll link to it in the show notes, but it found that 71% of children in the U.S. consume caffeine on, on a given day. That is shocking to me. I didn't look at the study uh, in depth, but I'm wondering if that's from coffee or is it from different types of drinks or chocolate and things like that? That's a really good question. I haven't read that study, but I'm not that surprised by it. I would be curious to see the ages of the kids in the study too. Um, if it was just like, you know, like up to like, you know, if it's like four to 18 or like 12 to 18, it'd be really curious to see that. But I would imagine a good amount of it's probably soda. Like that's still, still continues to be a popular drink. But I also know that, and I mean, this was the case when I was growing up. I don't know about you. Um, and I, but I know I have a niece who's 13 and like, just <laughs> like I, the, coffee drinks are still a thing like for yeah you know it's like still like the cool thing um you know so I think it's probably a bunch of different things maybe chocolates on there but I don't imagine these kids are sitting around drinking like you know green tea 
I think it's probably more in the context (laughs) of like sugary beverages that have been marketed to them or that are geared towards adults and seem cool and grown up. And can dehydration cause symptoms of anxiety? So there is some data on that, you know, and again, it really does depend on, um, you know, on the person, but, um, but yes, there have been studies looking at um, decreased water intake and that being associated with um, a more depressed mood or with heightened anxiety, greater tension, um, you know, confusion is also a symptom of dehydration. So, so a lot of different things. So yes, um, dehydration can definitely be associated with symptoms of anxiety and related issues too. And you talked about omega-3 fatty acids, really important for the brain, but are there other nutrients that can help ease symptoms of anxiety that parents should focus on getting in their kids' diets? Yeah, so I think bottom line, I would go for just an adequate diet, meaning like covering all the nutritional bases, like as a baseline. Um, You know, one nutrient I guess I, I would like to call out, or there's a few, but I would say magnesium is a good one. Um, that's an important one. You know, magnesium, it's a mineral that regulates nerve and muscle function. Um, you know, so for example, like um, it, it's, you know, it's, there's so many different chemical reactions happening in the body all day, every day. And magnesium is a really important factor in a lot of those. And, um, you know, but it also has to do like if someone has gets like tension headaches or they feel very tense, you know, making sure they're eating enough magnesium rich foods can help make them feel a little bit more, more calm. Um, you know, some good sources, leafy greens, um, certain dairy products, nuts and seeds, whole grains, um, you know, bananas, I would say. Um, and of course, you know, you're going to find it as well in certain like meats and fish and such. But um, so that's, that's one. Um, that's a really important one, especially to um, if kids deal with constipation, you know, getting enough magnesium is really helpful for that too. When sometimes, you know, constipation is not that uncommon, especially in a kid who's a picky eater and maybe doesn't like a lot of fiber rich foods. Um, magnesium can be helpful in easing constipation. Um, but of course, use it if, you know, if you don't want to have that effect, um, uh, more like that lax effect, definitely be very careful with the dosage. Talk to your pediatrician. Um, no matter what, you should talk to your pediatrician about dosages with vitamins because it's not the same for adults and kids. Um, another nutrient I will call out is vitamin B12. Um, so this is, you know, most people who consume animal products do fine with this. Um, but B12, you know, when our status is low, it is not uncommon to notice that you feel a little more down, a little more kind of just foggy, um, a little more just like kind of emotional, you know, you don't feel as you, as if you're like responding, um, the way that you would normally respond, like you don't feel as, as calm around, you know, emotions that are uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, um, vitamin B12 is found primarily in animal products. Um, so, you know, like meats, fish, eggs, poultry, dairy. Um, so there's some plant foods that have it, like algae, for example, or um, nutritional yeast, and of course, fortified foods and beverages. But so if you have a kid who doesn't like meat, um, you know, that might be an important one to supplement. Uh, just to make sure they're covering their bases. Um, you know, so that's that's another one that I think can make a big difference. Um, vitamin D is really important. You know, vitamin D plays a really big role in cognitive function and mood, also immune system function. So that's a big one. Um, and then fiber, you know, while we're talking about gut health, 
you know, the fiber is really helpful for um, digestive regularity. And it's so for so for example, again, making sure that your kid is able to have a bowel movement regularly, um, making sure they're eating fiber consistently through the day is going to be helpful. And of course, drinking enough fluid to keep things moving through the GI tract. Um, fiber is you're going to find it in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, beans, peas, lentils. Avocados also happen to be a great source of fiber. Also a good source of magnesium. Um, and then I would say um, getting enough enough fat and protein. That's also important. Um, the reason for that is, I mean, there's many reasons that we need to have adequate um, fat and protein, but um, they help slow the breakdown of the carbs that we're eating. So that is really important for blood sugar balance. You know, I've seen people, you know, kids and adults do really well. You know, maybe they were eating like a slice of toast with jelly for breakfast. And then we add some avocado on there. We put an egg on there and suddenly like their mornings are so much calmer and they feel so much more focused. So those are just a few examples. You know, I think if your kid has specific, um, you know, like nutrient gaps in the diet because of different symptoms they're having or um, food preferences. You know, I think a, a multivitamin sometimes can be a, can be really helpful, especially with a picky eater um, or specific vitamins. You know, I would also talk about probiotics too. Um, you know, probiotics, I don't know if I would call them a nutrient per se, but, you know, they're those beneficial gut bacteria that you're going to find in fermented foods or in a supplement. So that can also help with promoting a healthy gastrointestinal system too. So um, definitely want to make sure your kid's getting some probiotics in their day. Yeah. Do you recommend that kids take a probiotic or you, you think that fermented foods are really best? So I, I think that, again, I would talk to your pediatrician about the best type of probiotic supplement for kids. Um, but what I will say is that with the fermented foods, um, you know, they, they tend to each have like only one or a few really of the different probiotics. And it is beneficial to get a wide variety because all the different strains of probiotic bacteria do different, slightly different things. And it, and in order to keep a, uh, and you know, those bugs, they don't have like a really long life. So it, you know, if you're consistently eating, you know, a variety of fermented foods, awesome. Like keep, keep doing that. Like that is going to definitely be helpful, but it can be really hard to kind of keep, um, I know this sounds like a weird way to phrase it, but you know, in order to continuously replenish and re repopulate that, that, uh, that supply, that, that gut microbiome, um, you know, you do need to be eating a pretty wide variety pretty consistently. So supplements can be useful. That's great. I didn't know that. And what about fish? Because those are a great source of omega-3s. How do we get that in our kids' diet? Because a lot of kids just don't like it. Yeah, I think, you know, what I have found successful is like finding the hook. You know, is there a certain flavor they like, a certain texture they like? So for example, if there's a marinade that they really like on chicken, you know, test it out with like a, a very approachable fish, you know, like maybe like a white fish. Or, you know, I would even say, um, like, I, I wouldn't say like, start your, start your kid on like canned sardines, like if they've never had it before. But if you know that they, they like, um, you know, like shrimp or something, you know, that kind of milder flavor, start them with like, um, a milder fish, like, uh, like monkfish or cod or halibut, or, you know, a lot of kids, I've had a lot of people do, do okay with, 
getting their kids to eat salmon by calling it like princess fish or like pink fish. Oh, that's cute. You know, and I think it's really just about getting a sense of what your kid does like or what is less scary to them because new foods can be really scary and overwhelming. So I think presenting it with either a sauce they're familiar with or pairing it with like um, sides that they're familiar with, if there's vegetables, you know, they like or a grain that they really are into. um, I think that can help a lot. Um, But just to know that if they don't like it the first time or the first like five or 10 times, like it doesn't mean they'll never eat it. You know, I would say introduce it, let them see you eat it. Um, But also, um, I know I mentioned preparing it in a sauce that they like, but you could also try, um, you know, just preparing it different ways too. And I also, I like to ask questions. So I'm a big fan of asking, well, what didn't you like about it? Or what would make you like it more? Um, Sometimes, you know, you might not always get like an answer that like as an adult, you find like helpful. But I think just asking questions and letting your kids know that you're interested in, in what they like, what they don't like, I think that can also go a long way. Yeah, it is hard, but I think that if the the earlier you start, the better. My kids actually do like sardines, and and one of them would prefer sardines over tuna fish, which doesn't make any sense to me. But um, I think the more you make it a part of your your own, you know, everyday life, and and you eat those foods, it's definitely easier to get your kids to um, to take to them as well. And and what about um, spices like turmeric? Can that help with anxiety? So, you know, there is some research on that. You know, I think turmeric, it's just important to keep in mind, though, that a lot of studies out there are using supplement forms. Um, and I was talking about omega-3s. You know, a lot of those studies are also looking at supplement forms, which are high, you know, higher dosage. I think it's good to highlight the benefits in the, in the research. But to also know that, you know, with the food, you might not get, like, as pronounced an effect as maybe would be seen in a research study. But that can actually be a good thing, you know, because sometimes we don't need like that dramatic an effect. Um, but I think that when these different foods and lots of spices have different types of healing properties, I think that when you're just incorporating them as part of your day to day, I think that you can reap some benefit. Um, and sometimes when we're taking, you know, I've seen people like just go straight to taking like a turmeric supplement instead of just adding turmeric into their cooking. <laughs> like, and then I, that's not always the right the right step, you know. This is less common with children because you know kids are you know less frequently on like you know medicate like prescription medications for the chronic things. But um, but like you know like turmeric can interact with other medications, so it's better to do it in food as opposed to just going straight for supplements. So um, so yes, there is um, there is some research on turmeric and anxiety, and I, I'm curious to see where where it goes. You know, it's one nutrient that um, is has been used medicinally for thousands of years, and you know, more recently we've been studying it to kind of figure out why it seems to be helpful for certain things. Um, but it is shown to have a lot of anti-inflammatory properties, and um, it does offer a nice, like, pretty color to foods, and it's mm-hmm. got a lot of. Um, it's got like a kind of a, a bit of a kick to it and it, but it pairs well with other spices too. Yeah. I like using turmeric to make golden milk. And also you can kind of add those spices and stir fries or even smoothies. Just a little bit It is all it really takes. And yeah. so we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some general tips to reduce anxiety in kids. If you have picky eaters, you're not alone. And as a mom of two, I totally get it. 
But through the years, as both a journalist and a mom, I've discovered the secrets to raising kids who love their veggies and will eat just about anything. And I want to share what I've learned with you in my free ebook, 15 Secrets to Raise Healthy Eaters and Put an End to Picky Eating. This book is filled with evidence-based real-life strategies that will help you raise healthy eaters without sneaking foods, bribing, negotiating, or making food into art projects. To get the book, just go to julierevelant.com and click on freebies. All right, Jess, so I know that you are a big proponent of making sure that when you prepare meals that it should always include fiber, protein, healthy fats, right? So talk to me about why that's important, especially if your kid has anxiety. Yeah, so it's all going back to blood sugar balance. You know, when we are having protein, fat, and fiber at our meals, that helps slow down the digestive process, which helps our blood sugar, um, rather than a, a quick spike and a crash, you know, we experience a much slower, more stable increase and decrease in our blood sugar. So we experience, we're, we're full for longer, which is really helpful, but we also experience more stable energy and more stable mood. So that can go a long way in helping someone feel more resilient with anxiety. Yeah. And so what are some good examples for parents when they're maybe making snacks? Like what are some good combos? Yeah. I mean, you know, I know it's like a a classic, but I think cliche for a reason, like an apple and peanut butter, you know, you're getting your complex carbs and fiber from the apple. You're getting some healthy fat and protein in the peanut butter. Or if your kid doesn't like peanut butter or is allergic, you can use cheese. And of course there's, you know, nut like other nut and seed butters, almond butter. Um, We eat a lot of sun butter in my house. Um, You could do something like a, a plain Greek yogurt and add some cinnamon or a little honey to make it, you know, add some flavor. Um, I also think cocoa powder tastes really nice in there. Um, maybe put their favorite fruit on top, you know, and if you do, or maybe a spoonful of their favorite nut or seed butter, um, you could do things like if your kid likes crunchy stuff, you know, you could do something like, um, crispy chickpea snacks. You could give them trail mix, uh, some popcorn with, you know, um, either nutritional yeast and, or, um, Parmesan cheese, maybe a little bit of olive oil sprinkled on there. Um, those are just a few examples, but yeah, I think going for things that provide flavor, texture, like, but of course, taking into account what your kid enjoys and finds approachable, like, you know, um, you could also make like a snack plate. Sometimes it's fun to see lots of different colors. So maybe you're doing something like some, some sliced veggies that they, that they happen to like some whole grain crackers, some hummus, you know, that way they're covering a lot of bases and they're getting a good variety of like textures, flavors, colors, you know, making it interesting. Or making dips with yogurt, that can be a really nice way to work in in protein, a little healthier than sour cream. Yeah, those are all great ideas. And I think getting your kids in the kitchen too is really helpful because then it empowers them to make their own choices and they get excited about healthy eating. And so, you know, your book, uh, The Little Book of Game Changers, 50 Healthy Habits for Managing Stress and Anxiety is so timely right now, right? With everyone still dealing with anxiety on on any level. And so what are your favorite tips for parents who are trying to help their kids this time of year? Yeah. So I think that going back to what we said at the big, what I was talking about the beginning with, you know, um, putting on your own oxygen mask first, I think that when you are a parent, it is so easy to put your own self-care at the very bottom of the list. Um, especially when your kids are dealing with stress and anxiety, you're dealing with stress and anxiety. Um, But I think that what I have found very useful for my patients and clients over the years is to put that self-care on your calendar. 
Um, it could be a five minute break, you know, or that could be where you're going to carve out space to exercise. Um, it could be carving out when you're going to, you know, order your groceries online or, you know, if you're going to, if you have time to treat yourself to, you know, like a, getting your haircut or a spa treatment, whatever it might be, you know, it can be five minutes. It can be like five hours, like whatever. Um, but I think putting it on the calendar, putting your own name on the calendar more specifically, whether you're putting a specific activity in that time slot or not, um, seeing your name there, it reminds you, um, you know, rather, yes, it helps make it easier to ensure that that thing that you put there happens. But bigger than that, it's a nice reminder that your health and well-being matter just as much as all the other priorities you have going on right now. Um, a few other tips that I, I've found very useful for people is, you know, we talked about eating for stable blood sugar. I think that's been life-changing for a lot of my patients over the years. Um, but asking for help, I know that sounds scary and difficult, but I think that identifying one or a few things, whether they're tiny things or big things that are a struggle for you and brainstorming, you know, either what you can do to make that thing simpler or whom you can accept help from to help make that thing simpler for you can be really, really beneficial. So I would say that, um, you know, eating for stable blood sugar, putting your own name on your calendar, um, and asking for and accepting help are a few, just a few tips. You know, I also am a fan of worry time. Um, this is a big one. If you are prone to anxious thoughts, hijacking your attention during the day or keeping you from getting things done or um, you know, and the worry time, you know, this is a strategy I honestly found very useful in my own life um, is if I start to notice like a worrisome thought start to just take over, um, you know, just acknowledge it. Be like, okay, I see you. We're going to talk about this later. And then literally just set aside some time in your day, whether you want to write about it in a notebook or give yourself 10, 15 minutes to ruminate, um, you know, and I find that whatever your approach you take, you know, oftentimes you find that what you were worrying about was not as big of a deal as it seemed in the moment. Or, um, you know, you can get into that headspace of coming up with a plan to deal with that thing, you know, like the, the worst case scenario game, like, okay, so if that did happen, what would I do to deal with that? And sometimes just having that plan can be also very helpful. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, one of the things I recently started doing with both of my daughters is um, sitting down with them. They each have a journal and either they can journal on their own or we can sit and talk as they journal or I'll journal for them, write down how they're feeling. And I, I think that that's really helped kind of, you know, as writers, we, as you know, Jess, it's great to get it down on the page. There's something about it. It's cathartic. It makes you kind of, um, look at it from a different perspective. And I think that's really helpful for kids, um, no matter what they're dealing with, with whether it's anxiety or something else. And then also family dinners are so important for families. So sitting down with your kids and talking about um, their day and maybe, you know, something great that happened, something they're they're feeling challenged by. Um, it's a really great way to help kids reduce anxiety. And so you are also working on a second book, which I'm so excited for you. So tell us a little bit more about that book. Yeah. So, you know, this is, it's, it's slated to come out in fall of 2022. Um, it's about, it's really a resource for caregivers. So the, 
the title is The Farewell Tour. And we'll have, we'll be announcing uh, the full subtitle soon. But, you know, this book is really based on my family's experience of caring for my dad when he was struggling with pancreatic cancer. Um, you know, during that time, I, you know, as, as I shared with you earlier, you know, I was 31 years old. I was like juggling seven different jobs and trying to figure out my life. I, you know, I have a little, little bit behind some of my peers with that stuff. But, you know, it was really, I remember at the time I was really struggling to find a resource that really spoke to me, you know, like a lot of the resources for caregivers were just either like, just, I could not relate to them or they were just really like really dry and not helpful, you know? And I, I also, I wanted to create something like that, that other people might, might be able to use. Like I, you know, the idea really started when I was working as an ALS dietitian and I saw that the wear and tear that my patients' families went through. And, you know, I, and then, you know, I remember thinking like, oh, well, I'll, I'll know how to deal with this if something like this ever happens to, to my family members. And I was so wrong about that. Like I, I was, you know, a licensed healthcare professional, but I struggled so much with certain stuff. Like I was, I was eating fine. I was exercising, but I could not sleep. And my anxiety was through the roof and my relationships really suffered, um, you know, in my personal life. And I, so I decided that in this book, I would address, you know, we talk about stress management, we talk about nutrition, movement, we talk a lot about sleep, um, relationships, and we also go into things like end of life care. Um, But because my dad was in the music industry, um, we, the title comes from, you know, he said, he said, you know, when, when, when people know you're dying, everybody wants a piece of you. So we started calling it the farewell tour. <laughs> so I also have some surprise um, music related uh, pieces in there that I think people will, will get a lot of fun out of that really um, it has to do with that theme of being on tour. So yeah, more details to come. Wow. That's really important work for um, the sandwich generation. That's great. I look forward to reading it. And just where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so they can connect with me on my website, uh, jessicacordingnutrition.com. And that's where, you know, they can sign up for my email list or send me a message. And of course, I'm also on Instagram at Jess Cording, Twitter at Jess Cording. And I'm also on Facebook at jessicacordingnutrition.com. And I also do have a podcast. So if they want to listen in, I have a lot of guests on. I know you were one of my fabulous guests early in the podcast days. Um, so that's drama free, healthy living. And you can listen in on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Libsyn, all the places. Great. Well, Jess, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Julie. I always enjoy chatting with Jess Cording because her approach is so easy and realistic. It was really great to have her on the show. If you found this episode helpful, I'd love it if you could go into Apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating so that we can reach more people. I'm Julie Revelant, and thank you for listening to Food Issues. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 